It is so great to be with you this morning, church, as we start this new series on Genesis, In the Beginning. I'm so thankful that you're here with us. Here we are at the beautiful Legacy International Center. I want to encourage you to come check out this place. There is so much to do. We'll even be here on Saturday, October the 10th. We want to encourage you to come and join us as we have a united service and we have a, just a dynamic praise and worship night under the stars. It'll be at 5.30, so don't forget to miss that. Or don't forget to be a part of that, I should say. Hey, well, today I want to ask you a simple question. Do you love the Bible? I know I do. It is the authentic Word of God. It reveals to us the history of the Messiah, God's Son, Jesus Christ, through whom God has shown us His amazing grace and how sweet that sounds. But in order to understand God, God's plan of redemption, we need to understand that we need to be redeemed. We have faults. We have failures in our lives. And that is what the early chapters of Genesis are all about. It's about God being our Redeemer. Amen? Now, English, now, the English title of Genesis comes from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Bible, which means origins. And the influence of Genesis in Scripture is demonstrated in the fact that it is quoted over 35 times in the New Testament, according to biblical scholars. Now, we don't know necessarily who the author, uh, the author does not identify himself in Genesis, but Moses is the fitting author in light of his educational background. Now, the book of Genesis has three distinctive sequential geographical settings. The first one is found in Genesis 1 through 11, which is Mesopotamia. And then there's the Promised Land, which is uh, chapters 12 through 36 of Genesis. And then we go to Egypt in chapters 37 through 50. Now, did you know that Genesis covers more time in history than the remaining books of the Bible combined? There is something unique and special about the book of Genesis. And in Genesis, we see how God will, will by willful de de uh, decision and divine spoken word, he called creation literally into existence. He furnished it. He breathed life into a lump of dirt and created in his image, Adam. The Bible says in Psalms 33, 9, For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. God made human beings the crowning point of his creation. Now, in Genesis 1 through 11, it is the primeval history where we see the origins of the universe from the beginning of time and space. And we discover there are so many first things that happen in the book of Genesis from the human experience such as marriage, the family, unfortunately the fall, sin, redemption, judgment, and nations. And then, of course, you go to Genesis 12 through 50, and we see the patriarchal history where we discover how Israel came into existence. We see the, the customs, the languages, the different cultures uh, that, that came about in the human experience with, of course, with sin and death. Now, Genesis 1 through 11 sets a singular message about the character, and it talks about the works of God. In these chapters, people discover all about God's abundant grace as he responds to the willful disobedience of humanity. Each time we see the manifestation of God's grace grow in these, in these verses and in these chapters in Genesis in the beginning. We also see how humanity responds to God's grace with greater sinful rebellion. The more sin abound in the early chapters of Genesis, the more God's grace abound. And that still applies to us today. Amen? We'll see how the fall, the, the universal flood, and the dispensation of nations present a historical backdrop in order to understand world history. Now, a lot of people can say a lot of things, and sometimes what they say comes to pass, and sometimes what they say doesn't come to pass at all. Now, no matter how powerful the person might be, whether you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or you're the President of the United States, sometimes when they speak, things don't necessarily happen right away. But I want you to understand this morning that when God speaks, 
when God, with God, when He speaks, things happen. Things happen. Now, we read in Genesis 1, we see the very power, we see the very authority, the very wisdom of God on display through His creative designs. The creation, the story of Genesis, has many truths to teach us about the character of God. In Genesis 1, we see that God created the heavens and the earth in verses 1 through 2. Then we also see that God developed. He not only created, but then He developed what He created in the heavens and the earth in verses 3 through 13. And then thirdly, God saturated the earth from what He developed, and we read about that in verses 14 through 27. Now today we live in a world that embraces, unfortunately, the teachings of evolution. And Genesis is written as a book of history. It is a book of history. Genesis 1 is an account of six literal days that God spent creating all that we know in the universe. The book of Genesis is also a literal, a literal account of people who experienced events. It is not, uh, according to many, both unchurched and, unfortunately, even in the church, that the book of Genesis is a book of myths, or it's just a book of metaphors, or it's just some abstract ideas. It is not some book whose purpose is to argue against other teachings or popular beliefs and culture. The book of Genesis stands alone, friends, as the standard for truth. It is the pace setter for which we live and we trust our lives in the hands of an almighty God. Now, the book of Genesis is all about teaching God's people about how he interacts with creation in humanity. So let's go ahead and dive into Genesis 1, 1 through 2. It says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. You see, church, God brought the physical universe into existence out of nothing. And in the process, the earth was like an unshaped lump of clay awaiting the potter's loving hand to form it the way he wanted it to be. Now, from the very beginning, we see the Spirit of God shaping his creation. I want you to understand, friends, God will always bring order out of chaos. God will always bring order out of chaos. He'll bring beauty and fulfillment out of nothing. He did it back then, and he'll continue to do it today for those who surrender their lives to him. I want to encourage you, friends, that in the midst of chaos, God wants to bring order like he did when he brought the heavens and the earth. Now, we read on in verses, um, the next verses that we read about in Genesis 3 through 13. It says this, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, Let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry land may appear, dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the water seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 11, then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation and all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening passed and the morning came, marking the third day. Now, friends, in the first week of his creation, uh, he developed and saturated the heavens, the land masses and the waters. God created by his word alone. When God speaks, things happen. 
When God created um, these things, in an instant they became a reality. Now prior to God creating the sun, we need to remember that God himself is light. But in verses 3 and 5, we see that God commanded the light to shine and then separated the light from the darkness. Life as we know it could never exist without the light of the sun. That is why God created it. In verse 4, God deemed that the light was good, and in day 1, there was completion. In Scripture, it's interesting to note that light is associated with God, with Christ, with the Word of God, with God's people, with God's blessings, while darkness is usually associated with Satan, death, spiritual ignorance, and divine judgment. And God separated these two things. He separated light from darkness because they had nothing in common. Nothing in common. From the very first day of creation, God established the principles of separation and will always have the final authority over the physical elements of creation. God is the supreme authority over everything, not only back then, but in today's world that we're living in. He not only separated the light from the darkness, but the day from the night. And we discover that God made many divisions established as, as, uh, through creation. Now, there's a popular doctrine that's out there today known as the day-age theory. And what the day-age theory suggests is that the first day of Genesis actually represents great periods of time and that the first day was actually thousands or millions of years old. Let me just tell you this, church, that is not true because the basic reason is that the book of Genesis is clearly meant to be historical. Remember I told you earlier it's not some mythical thing or some abstract idea? It's none of those things. It was a historical account of actual people and actual events. Moses was not writing metaphorically here. He was writing literally, literally. When he said that the evening and the morning were the first day, he meant a literal 24-hour period of time. Now in verses 6 and 8 on day 2, God created the firmament, the sky, and divided the waters above the, the, from the waters on the earth, and he called the firmament heaven. And then we go on and read in verses 9 through 13, once he had done these things, the planet is now ready for life. It's ready to sustain life. So in day three, what does God do? He calls life into existence. He separated dry land from the seas and he created plants, plant life and grasses and seed producing herbs and fruit bearing trees. And God was preparing the earth for habitation. He was preparing habitation for humans and for animals and the plants would help provide food for them. So Moses makes it clear that Elohim, I love that word, Elohim, the one, true, the, the one true God was Lord, was over the earth and the seas. And God said that he had done, what he had done was good. For the second and third time in verses 10 through 12, he says those words, good, it is good. There's no suggestion of any kind of evolution here either. We don't read about that in the scriptures. So at this point of creation, God creates three special places spaces. He creates the land, he creates the seas, and he creates the expanse of the sky. And so now he's ready to develop. So let's read what he developed on day four. It goes on and says in Genesis 14 through 19, then God said, let light, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the, the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, the days, and the years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars and God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening and morning passed, marking the fourth day. 
Everything that God made, friends, everything that God made was complete. It had a function to it. It was fully functioning. And from the beginning, God wanted humanity to use the stars to gauge the passage of time. So God brought a force two lights, two great lights, the sun and the moon. And God created plant life. But the sun does not appear until day four. So if you think about it, friends, plants could easily survive for 24 hours without sunlight. But plants could not survive without sunlight for millions of years or even thousands of years. And when you think about that, friends, what we must understand is that Genesis 1, again, is based on a literal 24-hour period. Besides creating the sun, the moon, and the stars, he created planets, other planets as well, all in day four. Now let's read about Genesis 1, 20 through 23, and what happens next. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird each producing offspring of the same kind and God saw that it was good then God blessed them saying be fruitful and multiply let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth and evening and past and morning came marking the fifth day now evolution teaches us that birds evolved from fish or vice versa but Genesis teaches us that fish and birds appeared at the same time Moses reminded the readers that fish can only bring forth fish and that birds can only bring forth birds. There's no room for the doctrine of evolution in Genesis. In verse 22, this is the first time God spoke directly to his creatures by blessing them. He blessed them and he gave them a command and, and God's blessing enabled the creatures and the birds to reproduce abundantly and enjoy all that he had made. You see, you and I need to remember this day, friends, the blessing that God started on the creation on that fifth day still reaches down to God's people today. God wants to bless you. God wants to pour out his spirit on you. God wants to do a new thing in your life and in your family and your career and in your education. And I believe that the same blessings that God said to the fish and the birds, he wants to say to you today. He wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to multiply. He wants you to do great and mighty things for his glory and his honor. Now let's go ahead and read Genesis 1, 24 through 37 and Genesis 2 and 7. It says this, And God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of its kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Verse 28, then God blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees of, of your, of, for food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good, very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. You know what, church, what excites me is the sky was formed, 
and God filled it with stars and the moon and the sun and other planets. God filled the earth with flying birds. He formed the seas and he filled them with various aquatic creatures. Creation reached its climax. But then on the sixth day, God filled the land with animal life. And then he created the first man who with his wife would have dominion over the earth and over its creatures. Animals and human beings were made from the dust of the ground. That is why the bodies of humans and the bodies of animals go back into the dust after death. However, humans and animals are very, very different. First of all, I want to tell you this, that humans were created in the image of God. Animals were not. No matter how cute we think of our dogs or our cats or our fish or our pets or whatever it may be, they are not and never will be created in the image of God. And for the first time, God speaks to himself. He speaks to himself and he uses the plural us. God is revealing his triune nature uh, to the creation right from the beginning. The human body, which is an extraordinary work of art, this amazing, this complex organism uh, that only the wisdom of God could design and the power of God could create. God gives us our personalities. He gives us minds to think. He, he gives us the, the power uh, of, of, to create and so forth only through the power of God. And God gives us all these things. He gives us the emotions to, to feel with and the wills for making decisions. And he gives us an inner spiritual nature to know him and to worship the Almighty God. Secondly, humans were created by God. They were created by God. You're not a galactic accident. You're not made from goo or something made from some evolutionary ladder. In Acts 17, 28, it says, For in Him we live and move and have our being. Third, we were created to have dominion over the earth. Adam and Eve were the first regents over God's creation and, and called to populate the earth by being fruitful and multiplying it. Fourth, God, our Creator, deserves our complete worship and praise and obedience. When, we, when God created us, He said it is very good all throughout the days that he created things, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good, but it is very good. That's why the devil hates life. He hates life. Because you and I were created in the image of God, and God said, it's not just good. It's like Campbell's soup. Mm -mm -mm. It's very good. It's very good. Fifth, as humans, we must be good stewards of creation. We must respect one another. We must love one another. We must forgive one another. We can't honor God and dishonor His creation at the same time. It doesn't work that way, friends. We must accept His creation as a gift to each of us. God has given us all gifts, and we're to guard them with what He has given us as precious treasures and, and invest what He has given us for the glory and the honor of God. Now, after God created everything in six days, what did He do on the seventh day? He relaxed. He rested from His finished work. There was nothing left that was incomplete. Nothing that, that was evolving any further. Modern science teaches us that evolution is still continuing and that the work of creation is never complete. But this is directly contrary to the scriptures that we read in Genesis. God created everything in six days, not in millions or billions of years. Now, there are some who believe in different types of evolution. There's theistic evolution, which was the process that God used to bring about the earth as we know it. And that is that the earth is, according to theistic evolutionists, that the earth is 4.5 billion years old because of evidence in fossil record and astronomical data. And, and that the six days that God created the, the, the world refers to uh, a, evolution, an evolutionary development. Then there are others who believe in the old creation, cre, uh, old earth creationism. 
Maybe you've heard about that. They believe God created the universe through a combination of natural processes and divine intervention. But they also believe that the earth is 4.5 billion years old as evidenced in fossil uh, record and astronomical data. And that the six days of creation need not to be taken literally as a 24-hour period. So you've got the theistic evolution, you've got the old earth creationism, and then there's some who believe in the young earth creationism. And that is that the earth is between six and 10,000 years old and the fossil strata were laid down in the flood of Noah, which, is, which was a global in scope, and, and that God created the world literally in six days. Now that's the one I believe in. I believe that the earth is young. And I believe that once you have told people to accept, I, I believe that uh, the reason why a lot of people don't really engage in, in young earth creationism is because once you've told people to accept man's dating methods, which is the old earth creationism or the theistic evolution or the, the, um, the dating, uh, you know, the, uh, the day and age theory that's out there and so forth, and, and when we accept man's dating methods, thus should not take the, what happens is people don't take the first few chapters of the book of Genesis literally as they're written. You have to effectively under, what happens is when you believe these theories or these other things, you are undermining the Bible's authority. It is, it is the, this attitude that is destroying the church in America today. Christians who accept the billions of years concept are in an essence saying that, the, that man's word is infallible but God's word is fallible. Every single dating method outside of Scripture is based on fallible assumptions, friends. There are literally hundreds of dating tools that we have today. However, whatever dating methods one uses, assumptions must be made about the past. Not one dating method man devised is absolute. I want you to understand that, friends. Only God's word is absolute today. Take out your Bible and look through it. You can't find any hint at all of millions or billions of years in it. Now, I love a ministry called Answers in Genesis, and there's a lot of stuff that you can learn about that I would encourage you to Google Answers in Genesis, and you can learn a lot of neat things on this online ministry that's provided by Ken Ham and his ministry team. And we need to understand as Christians, God didn't use evolution to make humanity. God did not use evolution to make humanity. He rested not because he was tired or he was weary. He simply abstained from further creative work and established the pattern for humanity's work cycle. You see, church, today, I want you to understand as we wrap this up that God still and God will always love what He created. Secondly, God is a God of order. And when it comes to what He creates, He creates, um, he creates in order, not, um, you know, evolution, which will always lead to confusion. He separated the light and the darkness, the day and the night, the dry land and the oceans. And thirdly, humanity is the most unique of all creations. Fish and birds appeared, plants and animals burst forth from the earth, but humanity was created different than the birds, than the fish, than the plants, than the animals. God used the dust of the earth to create us with his hands, and he breathed life into us. So as every head is bowed and eyes are closed in this sacred moment, I want to ask you a couple of questions as we begin this new series on Genesis in the beginning. And we're going to be going through these chapters in these 1 through 11. And I want to encourage you just to begin to read it, begin to process it, begin to pray, and allow the Spirit of God to minister to you today. But as every head is bowed and eyes are closed, remember today, I want to encourage you that God loves you. He created you, and He'll turn any chaos that you're going through into order because He has the final authority over your life, 
over your finances, over your relationships, over every aspect of your life. And maybe there's an area of your life that's chaotic today. Maybe you look at our, our, our situation in the United States of America and you just see chaos. Remember that God has the final word. He has the final authority. And He has the whole world in His hands. Secondly, God wants to continue to bless you. Whatever your life, do you need God to bless you? Maybe you need Him to bless you with wisdom or with strength or maybe something physically or emotionally or relationally or, or maybe there's an area of your financial situation or, your, or, or even in your walk with the Lord today. But cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord, God, in this area of my life, Lord Jesus, turn this circumstance, turn this situation into a blessing uh, so that your name can be glorified in all that I say and all that I do. And thirdly, do you fully trust the Word of God as your ultimate authority? Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Do you trust more in science or what man says? Or do you trust more in the living God? Is there an area of your life that you need to repent of today? Or you want to give your life to Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If that's you, I want to pray for you as we wrap this up. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we've had to, to literally go verse by verse in Genesis 1 and looking at Genesis 2, 7. And God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that from the very beginning, whatever you spoke, things happened. And Father, we come in agreement right now, believing by faith, Lord God, that things will happen as you speak life over your church, as you speak love over your people, Lord God, who you created, who you want to turn around things where are, that are chaotic in their life and bring order just like you brought order in those days, Lord God, in those six days, God. God, we thank you that you have the final authority over every circumstance, over every trial, over every tribulation. Lord, we pray blessings over your church today. We pray blessings over your people today, God, whether it's physically, emotionally, relationally, financially, or spiritually, Lord God. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. And Lord, we know that you, are the, you have the ultimate authority. And Lord, I pray that as a church and as individuals and, and, and Christians, Lord God, that not only would we um, read the Word of God, but that we would study the Word of God, we would research the Word of God, and that we would be able to develop a biblical worldview to understand what we believe and why we believe it, Lord God. That our trust will not be in man and what they say or what science says, but in what the great I Am says, the Prince of Peace says. The Word of God speaks to us, Lord God. And if there's people today that need to repent of a certain area of their life or their lifestyle, or maybe they want to give their life to you, Jesus, today, I pray that today the day of salvation will come to their doors. And so just repeat this prayer with me if that's you. If you want to give your life to Christ or be dedicated to Him. Father, we thank You that You've come to give us life and to give it to, it more, to, to us more abundantly. And so, Jesus, I pray for those that want to give their life to You. And I want to encourage you, friend, right where you're at, just admit that you're a sinner, that you've fallen short of the glory of God. Believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross and rose from the grave and confess Him right now as your Lord and Savior. And Lord, as those individuals are doing that for the first time or they're rededicating their life to you, Lord, I thank you that their sins are forgiven. I thank you, Lord God, that you have given them a new life. And I thank you that the old is gone and the new has come and the best is yet to come as they choose to live, as they choose to learn, and as they choose to love you with all of their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you made that decision, friend, you made the greatest decision of your life. I look forward to being with you next Sunday. Um, 
October 11th, but we hope you can join us, of course, live and not forsake the assembly as we come together on October 10th at 5.30 here at the Legacy International Center's Amphitheater. It's going to be fantastic. You might want to come earlier to have dinner and uh, just uh, have a wonderful time and join the grounds here. God bless you and have a great day.